is Off Script with Trish Glose, intimate interviews and conversations with interesting people. In front of my mic today is Gary Halliburton, a behavioral health nurse at Asante. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. I met you uh, last year, correct? Probably. Let's just say it was last year. My memory sometimes is, is not so good. Um, we were doing a story. It was a partnership with the Mail Tribune on mental health. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we came into the section where you were working. In the emergency room. That's right. Yes. And you, at that on that day, you were working, what's that called? It's called the PCU, Psychiatric yes. Care Unit. The Psychiatric Care Unit. Um, and there was about, there's a four rooms in there. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about really the mental health crisis and that it's a big deal here in Jackson County. There's not enough beds for mental health patients. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. And you and I were sort of chatting it up during that story. Uh-huh. I kind of forgot my job and what I was supposed to be doing. And you and I just started chatting. And I just said to myself, this guy is pretty cool. Oh, well, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> I, I don't hear that very often. So. Oh, well, you hear it from me. We're going to talk a lot about um, health and, and nursing and all that kind of stuff, because I know that's what you, um, you've been involved in the health industry for a long time. Yeah. Okay. Since the 70s. Over 40 years. Wow. Okay. All right. But first, I want to know, where are you from originally? Um, I was born in Nashville and, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. And, um, my father, uh, was raised in Tennessee and he learned how to play the blues on the piano in the 1920s from the real people who invented it. Wow. Oh yeah. And, uh, so I grew up listening to it and playing it, uh, not knowing how significant that was because blues is in the 1950s wasn't particularly popular. Okay, so you you were born in Nashville. What decade are we in here? Uh, I was born in the 1950s. 1950s, okay. Mm -hmm. So your dad was a musician. Yeah, uh, amateur, I mean, he just played at home. Oh, okay, so just for fun. Yeah, but okay. he was very good. Amazing, did you have siblings? Uh, I have a sister. A sister, okay. And so how long did you live in Nashville? I think we moved to Oregon when I was about four. Oh, wow. So not very long. No, no. But I had an accent. My father never lost his accent. Really? And I still have trouble remembering, do you call it a creek or a crick mm. or um, uh, audio cassette? I want to say cassette uh, oh, as okay. opposed to cassette. Right. Just some little things that linger. <laughs> um, well, I'm from South Carolina. Oh, okay. So I get that. I've sort of lost my accent until I talk to anyone from the South. That's right. And then all of a sudden, I'm just like... Hey, y'all. How's it going? Oh, I've gone down to Memphis to uh, perform, to play music. Mm -hmm. And uh, after a day or two down there, I just start talking like that again. You know, <laughs> it just comes right back. Well, Crick is very Oregon. Oh, I, I think crick? that's Crick is very an uh, okay. Oregon. I've never heard Crick anywhere else. I don't think, not, not in the South, for sure. We definitely mm -hmm. say Creek in the South, but... Crick yeah. is, I think, an Oregon word. Okay, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, we'll just we're gonna declare it today as an Oregon word. So, what was your childhood like? Um, I grew up in uh, Southeast Portland, and it was a pretty rough neighborhood, um, and so really poor. The road street behind my house was uh, a dirt road, and we didn't have sidewalks or anything like that. Mm. So I. Uh, I moved away as soon as I turned 18. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, where'd you move to? Uh, to the coast, uh, to Cannon Beach. And I have tried to live outside of a city 
my entire adult life. Hmm. And I've been largely successful. What turned you off about the city? Um, too many people, too hmm. much noise. I like to hear natural noise. When I open my window at night, I hear birds and I hear the Rogue River. Uh, I've, this is true, uh, I have always lived within earshot of running water since 1975. Hmm. So, so it's almost like you can't live without it now. Um, probably not. Mm -hmm. I've lived in the same place. I've got like two and a half, three acres and a little little farm and uh, I've been there for 29 years. And wow. I try never to leave it. The only reason why I leave it is to go to work. Or to come do a podcast from yeah. some crazy girl that's yeah. asking you to do a yeah. podcast. Yeah, so I bundled everything <laughs> all in one day. I had a staff meeting at the hospital and then I went to the grocery store and picked up some groceries and okay. after this I go home. And you're itching to go home right now. <laughs> He's itching to get out of here. Uh, what did you do in Cannon Beach? Um, well, I played music. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, oh, yeah, and I also went to school up in Astoria and learned uh, how to be an uh, auto mechanic. Okay. Um, things like that, because I really love to work with my hands. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you play music all through, like, a kid in high school and all the no? There was never a time. Never. I, never a time that I remember not playing music. Wow. And that's kind of, that's from your dad, really. It was from my dad. I learned how to play boogie woogie when I was eight <laughs> or nine years old. Uh, the old-fashioned stride piano. I don't mm -hmm. even know if you know what that is. No. But it's, it's a very archaic way of playing the piano that very few people do today. Interesting. But it's, it's really neat. And so um, I spent <sighs> hours and hours every day at the piano. In, in high school, I barely graduated because I didn't go to class. I would uh, uh, sneak behind the theater and they had a Baldwin uh, baby grand. <laughs> and I would spend four or five, six hours hiding there and playing the piano. Wow. And someone years later ran into me and I didn't know this, but they said they hated me because <laughs> their class was right next to me and they were me playing like St. Louis blues over and over and over again. Right. <laughs> right. Playing it over and over again to perfect it or just because you loved it? Both. Mm-hmm. Both. Um, piano is your instrument? Mm-hmm. Okay. Can, do you play any others? Um, not really. Uh, back in the 1980s, I played the flute. I mean, I've got like a couple of guitars, a dulcimer and, mm -hmm. and you know, stuff like that. But, but piano is your... Absolutely. That's it. It yeah. calls to you. What is it about the piano that you love so much? It's uh, really rich. Um, it's very orchestral. Mm -hmm. It's uh, one of the few instruments that you can play. It's, um, I, I worked with a guy who always said that uh, I never met a key that I didn't like. <laughs> Pianos have 88 keys. I'd right. love it if they had 100 or maybe 120. So I could. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's my biggest passion. Do you have a favorite key? Um, probably key of E flat and G. Hmm. Okay. So I took music lessons for years, mm -hmm. and I studied under a concert pianist. I studied under a regular piano teacher who was the biggest mentor in my life. Awesome. She changed my life. And I studied jazz uh, and all that kind of stuff. Okay. I'm a fan of F sharp. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. you, you play. Oh, well, let's be, let's be honest. I took piano lessons for maybe five years. I love the piano. But I, I can still read music, but uh -huh. I, it's, it's a struggle for me to sit down and, like, learn a song. But I'm yeah. working on it. I've got, I have a keyboard at home, and yeah, uh -huh. I, I play a little. I dabble. Yeah, it's kind of a struggle for me to read music. Um, 
but I get some practice. Uh, usually every year in the middle of August, um, the Brit Symphony has a party at the Jayville Tavern, yeah. and uh, I'm usually invited to come and be the piano player. So the music you learned, did you learn that from like sheet music, or did you just learn it from just playing? Both. Uh, wow. I learned how to read by ear, which is uh, play by ear, which is the easiest for me. Uh, but I learned how to uh, read music as as well. That's talent. So as no, it's it's it's. I don't think it is. I think. Oh, it's, I think it I is. I think it's practice and work. True, but I I mean, yeah, I, I still think that means you have a gift to play the piano if it comes that easy to you. Yeah, I was really lucky. Right. And a lot of times I learned music just by listening to it. Okay, so you're in Cannon Beach. You're 18. You're playing music, and you're you went to you said you wanted to become an auto or you learned how to become an auto mechanic. Was that just to pay the bills, or you were interested? I was interested. Okay. I, I, I like to do things, um, and actually, before I even went to Cannon Beach, I lived on the streets uh, for a while. I wanted to be a photojournalist, and so I had a 35 millimeter Pentax camera. Wow. And um, I lived on, I was interested primarily, see, I've always been interested in, in, in the disadvantaged people. Okay. And so uh, I lived on Skid Row, down on Mission Avenue, Market Street, and Flock wow. Houses. And um, yeah, on my uh, Facebook page, I've got a bunch of black and white pictures, photographs. Actually, I have photographs that I've taken all over the world. Um, but the black and whites are my favorite. They're, okay. they're really neat. So when was this that you decided to live on the streets for a while? That was in uh, 1969. Okay. In Portland? No, no, no. I uh, hitchhiked up and down the West Coast. Living on the streets? Yeah. yeah. Taking pictures? Yeah. Okay. So you chose to sort of be, not sort of, you chose to be homeless. Yeah, it was my choice because I wanted to document it. Why? Because um, these are stories that need to be saved that people don't know about. For example, what was it, about six, seven years ago, I went to India for uh, almost a month. Mm -hmm. And uh, often I travel alone. And uh, I carried uh, a Canon uh, 7D uh, camera that shoots video and mm -hmm. photographs. And uh, I shot 5,000 photographs wow. and uh, eight hours of video. And, uh, and I stayed, I didn't stay in nice places, I only stayed um, in uh, the slums. So uh, I wanted to be with the untouchables, which which I was. It was amazing. It was scary. It was mm -hmm. dangerous. I was going to ask if it was scary at times. Yeah. Um, I had a hotel room on Arakashan uh, Street in uh, Delhi. Not New Delhi, but Delhi, the old town. Mm -hmm. And it was like one of the worst slums. And I had to do some research to find out where it would be. But uh, I'm probably going to do it again. It was really? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But I mean, I was really happy to get home. Too. I bet, I bet. So, what did you find um, living on the streets? This is back in '69 when you're hitchhiking up and down mm -hmm. the West Coast, which also is dangerous, Mister mm -hmm. Hitchhiking. What did you learn? You know, I didn't know what I learned then. Okay. But uh, my work as a nurse, I work with a lot of homeless people, and I know, I'm sure that I'm the only person in my department that has ever had those experiences. I was, I slept one night, it was in December, a few days before Christmas, uh, I was in a, uh, a mission and uh, it was pouring down rain and uh, the roof collapsed on us <gasps> and there was water all over the place and, and, and so, you know, not very many people have had that kind of experience. No, I agree. And uh, so I'm able to talk with my patients 
and in a knowledgeable way and understand what they're going through. I was just going to say, because like we mentioned, you work in the psychiatric care unit. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of your patients are homeless. You can probably relate to them on a level that no one else can. Probably. Probably. It's, it's, it's really neat because I can connect. Mm -hmm. And that's what nursing and being a doctor or whatever, it's all about connecting with people mm -hmm. big time. Would you say for someone who is suffering from a mental illness, that connection sometimes is what they need or what they're looking for? Oh yeah, because it's therapeutic. We operate on a what's called a sanctuary model. Um, so we don't, for example, I wouldn't ask you, what did you do uh, okay. to get where you are? I would say, what happened to you? Mm -hmm. Because we call it uh, trauma-informed care. Because most of our people, well, everybody has trauma to some extent. And so most of our people that I see uh, have had trauma and that's part of our job is to be able to identify what it is and and kind of form a therapeutic relationship. Okay. Um, anything else from that, you know, that time where you were living on the streets that you'll never forget? Oh. Uh, endless stories? You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can remember uh, camping in Big Sur and spending the 4th of July in Isla Vista, sleeping on the beach. And, mm. um, Did you meet anyone that um, sticks out? Um, yeah, there was a couple of guys that picked me up, and um, I uh, was in Stockton, California, and they were migrant workers, but they weren't Mexican. Mm -hmm. um, and they allowed me to spend the night at their place. It was a father and son. And I actually have their picture um, on in Facebook. And the son took off to go do some errands. And the father, uh, I was going to hitchhike to San Francisco that evening because I was going to meet a friend um, in Oakland. And um, they were going to drive me to the freeway. And uh, the father says, you know, you probably should leave now because I think my son is probably planning on killing you because he wants to steal your equipment. <gasps> and um, that was a horrible feeling. So I started packing up my stuff and I was going to leave. And the son walks in the door and says, well, you ready to go? And uh, so there was nothing I could do. I got in the car and I was just totally ready. Were you freaking out? Oh, yeah. It was terrifying. <laughs> I thought oh I was probably going to die. Yeah. And so, um, um, you know, we're driving along, and then there's the freeway, and we pull onto the freeway, and the guy says, have a good trip. <laughs> I got out of the car, and it's like the San Francisco. Well, how do you explain that? I mean, was the was it like a... I think the, I think the dad was probably drunk. Okay. Who knows? I have Who no knows? Idea. Well, yeah, I mean, you're here, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, that's really scary. Was there ever a moment living on the streets where you said, I'm done now? I'm done. I need uh, something more stable? Well... No, because I knew that I had stability. I mean, this was totally out of choice. Because it was had, choice. Okay. And I had a place to go uh, when I came home, mm -hmm. you know. And so that wasn't a big deal. Okay. Um, uh, part of the time, uh, I actually was uh, going to school at Portland State. So it, it was never like the people that I see mm -hmm. that have no choice. Right, exactly. Uh, what did you do after that? that uh, then I moved to the coast and... Um, I studied to be an automotive mechanic and, you know, that, that type mm -hmm. of stuff. And, um, and then I moved back to Portland for a couple of years where I played music and worked. 
And then I moved to a little town called Manzanita where I bought a house. Mm -hmm. And uh, I commuted back and forth and uh, went to nursing school. And uh, then I worked in the emergency room at Tillamook Hospital for a number of years. What made you decide to go to nursing school? Um, I always wanted to do something like that. When I was like in my early 20s, I had a job at a, like a steel fabrication place. And I can remember walking out of there thinking, you know, if this place burned down and they stopped doing business, nobody would notice. Hmm. And I wanted to do something that was meaningful. And uh, so I didn't think I would ever be able to become a nurse, but somehow or another, I got accepted. Why did you think you couldn't become a nurse? Because there's a huge amount of competition. Hmm. I had to take a test with 800 other people to get into, I think there was 20 openings. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so it, miraculously, I, I got in. <laughs> right. Um, and so you worked at Tillamook Hospital for how long? Um, nine years. Okay. But I also um, would drive into Portland and work like in the ICU at uh, uh, St. Vincent's Hospital, mm -hmm. Good Samaritan. Uh, uh, I've worked at most of the hospitals in Portland. Okay. Um, and this is in, you said, the early 70s? And throughout the 80s. Okay, okay. So what brought you to Southern Oregon then? Um, rainfall. <laughs> really? Too much rain? Yeah, it, was, uh, <laughs> it, it, it rained something like 60 inches a year in um, uh, Manzanita. Okay. In that area. It's beautiful. I mean, everything's mm -hmm. green. Because it rains so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I came down here, and this is where I wanted to live. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I did. Okay. Um, and still in nursing, you're still working in hospitals at of this course. time. Okay. So, what year is this that you're here? Uh, 1989. Okay. And so, uh, did you start working at at the time? It was Rogue. It was RVMC. Yeah. yeah. Rogue Valley Medical Center. Yeah. Okay. Now it's Asante Rogue Regional Medical Center. Yeah, actually what happened was I had been working in the emergency room at St. Vincent's Hospital up in Portland, mm -hmm. which is a sister hospital to Providence. Okay. And so I was able just to come right down and mm -hmm. just slide right into a job in the ER. And I worked there for about a year and then uh, I accepted a job in the uh, intensive care unit at uh, uh, what is it, RVMC now? Right, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, was. at Rogue. Yeah, Let's just yeah. call it Rogue. Yeah, Rogue. And so you, what departments have you worked then within the hospital locally here? Um, I worked in the intensive care unit, and uh, then I worked in home care as a cardiac nurse. Um, I also uh, used to take call uh, for hospice at night. I did that for years. And then seven years ago, I went into uh, behavioral health, psychiatric nursing. Why'd you decide to go into behavioral health? I've always wanted to do it, mm -hmm. but uh, I I applied for a job there back in 1990, and they wouldn't hire me because I wasn't qualified. And I thought, what are you what are you talking about? I I just moved down here from Portland, where I worked in the biggest trauma right. ICU in, at Emanuel Hospital. And so finally, years later, I managed to talk my way into getting hired there. Mm -hmm. And it turns out they were absolutely right. <laughs> it was. Totally, not, not qualified? Totally not qualified. How, why, why do you say that? Well, because um, it's just a totally different discipline. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of different diagnoses. I, you know, I really didn't know what, I only had a general sense of what, what is schizophrenia? What, what is psychosis? Mm -hmm. what, what is schizoaffective disorder? Mm -hmm. And the medications um, and when to use them and stuff like that. So I had to do a lot of, a lot of training mm -hmm. uh, to classes and, um, and I just love this job. 
do you did you see a lot of behavioral health issues when you were living on the streets and taking photographs or absolutely okay but I didn't know it I didn't know very much about it you okay know. Um, do you ever get flashbacks of when you maybe see a patient and you know you it takes you back to that year and you yeah sometimes okay but not in a bad way of course just like a almost like a deja vu type of thing oh yeah oh yeah um, it's kind of like my life has prepared me for this mm. without knowing you know I didn't that's know a nice way it. to look at it yeah because um, um, sometimes I get a chance to use music therapeutically we mm -hmm. uh, many of the staff are musicians mostly play guitar and uh, but we have a piano on the unit and um, so sometimes I'll just grab somebody and take them in there how fun yeah yeah you also um, I learned this about you when I met you you also put together what's called end-of-life videos is that safe to say mm -hmm. okay how did you how did this happen tell me about this um, another passion of mine is history so I, I read a lot of books on history and stuff like that and I have patients who ha would tell me stories because I love stories mm -hmm. and they would tell me these stories and um, they would die and the stories would be gone so I have a, a small recording studio at my place and so I wanted to do um, historical audio tapes. And uh, so I asked the hospice people, do you know anybody who'd be interested? And so a week or two later, they called me back, hey, we have somebody. But they wanted a video and not audio. Mm -hmm. And I had an old VCR video camera, and I set it up, and it was amazing. This person, the stories. And so I don't really know how many, I've been doing this for like 16, 17 years. Hmm. And um, so I have no idea how many interviews that I've done, but the stories I have heard are just incredible. So you do these for the families? Yeah, for the family. That's, they're the only ones that, that get sure. the recording. And it's really just to make sure this person who's leaving us, their stories live on forever. Yeah, yeah, because... My dad died 32, 35 years ago, and there are so many questions I would have for him. Hmm. Um, because I have the piano that we had when I was a kid. Where did that piano come from? And as a matter of fact, coincidentally, I uh, checked the serial number on the back of it, and it was actually built in May of 1921, which is the month and year my father was born. Wow, yeah, how yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing that you still have it. I think, um, I guess, what made you decide to keep doing it? Is there just something about the family's reaction or? Oh, I, I, I took some courses in um, filmmaking mm -hmm. when I was in school. And so um, I've always been interested in that. And so once I, uh, once I did the first video, someone heard about it and called me up and said, I'd like to buy you a camera. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so I met the guy. I don't even remember his name. Uh, but what a wonderful person. <laughs> so yeah. I met him at a, in a parking lot, and we went in and picked out anything you want. And so he, he paid for it and got me started. And since then, I've invested a lot of money in video I, I bet. gear. And you add music to these, too. I did. You did? Um, okay. Um, it's It kind of 
I kind of got carried away sort of making big productions out of it and stuff like that. And it would just take forever to do the videos. And, and so now I really keep it bare bones so the family can get it right away. Sure. And I know there's not a lot you can say just based on, you know, personal, private, privacy issues. Right. With is, Was there ever a family or a story that just really sticks out to you in the last several years that you've been doing this? Oh, there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, all kinds. Um, but um, I think I've forgotten most of the people. What do you take away from them? I mean, is there something where you listen to these stories and then you go home and sort of reflect on what they've said? Sometimes yeah. uh, somebody will, will say something that is really profound. I bet. And uh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. <sighs> the, the second video that I did was one of the most amazing, was the best I've ever done. Hmm. But it wasn't because of me, it was because of my subject. For sure. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, one story you were telling me when I met you um, in the behavioral health unit at uh, Rogue, that you met someone um, years later who, I don't know if you were getting your gas or something like that, and they remembered you. Oh, yeah. Because they were a patient. Yeah, that happens all the time. They remember well, you. Well, not all the time, several times a year. And I think you said he was like, Thanks. I'm great. I have a wife. I have a kid. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. living life. Mm -hmm. Like he said, thank you to you. Yeah. That's huge. It is. It's, it's the reason why I keep doing this. Um, I'll be in the grocery store. The most difficult part for me is trying to remember who they are. <laughs> uh, so most of the time I don't remember who they are, but uh, um, it is wonderful. Which maybe they you. appreciate sometimes. They don't want to be known for being there. They want to be known in the present. <laughs> I don't know. I've had people actually from like 30, 40 feet away yell at me in the store. Hey, remember when I was up on the psychiatric unit? You know, I'm right. the one that had schizophrenia right. or something like that. And they like, shh. Yeah, there's all these people. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, but that feeds your soul. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I try to make it that everything I do feeds my soul. You know, I don't, there's not a lot of time we have here, and so I don't want to waste time. Yeah. So, so everything I do, um, you know, I try to read four hours a day and, um, you know, practice piano. And mm -hmm. then um, I love to do carpentry. Um, I've rebuilt a couple of houses and um, taught my two sons how to do wiring and plumbing. And, nice. Nice. Uh, and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah, we only get so many trips around yeah. the sun. Yes, and so I love it all. Um, my my son, who's twenty one, um, he works at the hospital. He just became a CNA, mm -hmm. and he would like to go to nursing school, but uh, he can do anything. Mm -hmm. uh, when the well went out, I was busy paying bills, and and he was seventeen. And I says, "Well, just go down there and do whatever." He he pulled. The, he pulled up 140 feet of pipe and diagnosed the problem. And we went to Grover's and about three hours later, we had water. Nice job, kid. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And he just had a, they just had a baby uh, two days ago. Oh, congratulations. So a, a brand new grandparent. I've never a brand a, new grandpa? Yeah, I've never been a grandpa before. So. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm just easing into my geezerhood. You know, it's, <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> what are you going to be called, grandpa? Well, I have no idea. It's okay. up to her. It's up to the baby, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's pretty awesome. Well, congratulations on Thank that. You. Very cool. Um, I think something just going back to nursing and you know you 
living on the streets as a photojournalist and taking all these pictures and wanting to go into behavioral health and wanting to take care of these people and wanting to put together these videos, you and many other people in your profession are a rare breed. And I say that because not all of us are equipped to take care of other people and want to want to do it every single day. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, uh, I used to not understand that. I used to think that anybody could do this. Mm -hmm. It's not true. But uh, no, it's not. It's not. It. Um, I work with the most amazing people, and I don't socialize a lot. But the team that I work with—that's my family. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're supportive and we love each other, and it's it's an amazing place to work. Mm -hmm. it truly is. But specifically within the behavioral health unit, that is a high stress job. You guys, I've heard just the things that you are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis from these patients. You know, you're you're offering them help and it's it's not easy. It's not as it's not, you know, it's not putting together a, a broken arm. It's it's mental. There's things that are vastly more difficult than that. For sure. My father uh, worked in a book bindery and he did that five, six days a week. And uh, when I was uh, in high school, um, he managed to get me a job there. So I worked swing shift. And um, his job, he worked at a thing called a cutter. Mm -hmm. And they would print these big pages that had pages on. And he would lift up a bunch, put it in the cutter, and um, press a thing, mm -hmm. get the page, set it, and do another one. And do it for eight hours, wow. 10 hours every day and he did that for something like 30 years now that was incredibly stultifyingly boring it was horrible um no i would much rather do what i do than that i, I couldn't do that see mm -hmm. there's no way right uh, i have to have that type of chaos i guess i don't mm -hmm. know challenge challenge mm -hmm. okay well we're gonna wrap up a little bit i'm gonna get to the final three uh best advice you've ever been given that would come from someone I was doing a video. And it, the advice that he gave me, it turns out, I was doing unconsciously all my life. But um, uh, he said that he told his students that the most important thing in life is not to know what you want to do, because everybody's got things that they want to do, but to know what you don't want to do. Mm. So for example, I did not want to work in a book bindery. I didn't want to work in a steel fabrication place. I did not want to work on cars for a living. Um, I'm doing what I want to do. I really feel like you're living that to the full extent. You really seem like the kind of guy who you do exactly what you want to do. That's that's exactly right. And you seem pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My son and I live on this little farm and we have goats and uh, we lost all of our chickens recently, but we oh, usually have chickens. Okay. And <laughs> Was there so, a mountain lion involved? Oh, yeah. We got mountain lions and bears and uh, all kinds of stuff like that. It's, okay. Well, better you than me living out there. Um, if you ever left this place, uh, what would bring you back here? What would you miss the most? I think I would miss the the yellow trees in the fall, the colors. Um, and the, the blue sky, like in late September and October, this place is paradise. It really is. Yeah. I can't imagine leaving. Uh, you know, I plan to die here. September is my favorite month. Yeah, yeah. It's still warm and during the day, but the nights are 
cool and yeah, the colors here are amazing. Yeah, yeah. All right, if you were given a last meal and a last drink, what would that be? A last meal? Boy, that is a good question. It's one of my favorites. Um, it would probably be a huge salad and a glass of really good scotch. Okay. Really big salad. That's like uh, Elaine from Seinfeld, right? Really big salad. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, she says really. Yeah, I've there's only an seen that show a couple of times. Oh, okay. well, I don't have television. So. <laughs> well, you're too busy on your, yeah. on your farm and home sweet home, which I know you're itching to get to. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We're also on Google Play. You can check out the video portion of this podcast at ktvl.com. Just click on features, then off script. I think you are incredibly interesting, and I'm so happy you sat down with me today. Well, you just validated me. I'm going to go home and think about being interesting for the rest okay, of the day. Okay, well do it. As I do the dishes. <laughs> As you do the dishes. And I would like to have you back if I can steal you away from the farm for another half hour and come back and we'll talk about, because I feel like there's a lot we didn't talk about today. A lot of stories oh, that I'm you sure. have. Okay. I'm sure. So we're going to brainstorm, but you're going to come back. Oh, I'd love to. All right, Gary Halliburton, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you.